Chapter 3 The Buffer Girl There was a princess long ago, long ago, long ago. There was a princess long ago, long ago. Dolly, it's your turn! Louis Hooley pushed her little sister Dorothy into the middle of the ring of dancing children. Hide your eyes, Dolly. You won't see him coming. Six-year-old Dorothy pressed her grimy fingers against her eyelids and giggled. The children dancing on the cobbles round her were barefoot. She could hear the clap and swish of them swirling past her. And daren't look. She was in a red sea with black shapes floating. She lived alone in a big high tower. She could pick out Louis's voice, loud and shrill, here and then there. She felt the air move as the dark shapes swept past. A wicked witch, she cast a spell. Oh, Mrs. Beatty, they all knew that. A great big forest grew around. There was a rush of air round her as the children thrust their arms up high and pressed into her. She bent her head right down, right into the comfort of her skirts. She could hear someone galloping, galloping with heavy boots round the outside of the circle, round and round, coming for her. She started to sob, excited. A handsome prince came riding by, riding by, riding by. A handsome prince came riding by, riding by. Oh, let him be nice, let him be nice. He cut the trees down with his sword. All round her were shrieks of laughter as the children were fell by the arm of the handsome prince. Dolly sank down onto the cold cobbles, her hair loose around her, hiding her face. He woke the princess with a kiss, and she was pulled up hard so her wrists hurt, and her fists were dragged down from her face and held back, and Albert Bradley, snotty-nosed and big-limbed, bent down and kissed her full on the lips. The children scattered away from them, shrieking. And everybody's happy now, happy now, happy now. Right down the street and back up again, with Dorothy and Albert pulled along by them, hand in hand, till Mrs. Beatty came out of their house, wiping her hands on her skirts, and shouted, Louie? Dorothy? You're wanted? Your mother's had a baby. Everybody's happy now, happy now, happy now. Dorothy looked out of her bedroom window and smiled. Her little brothers and sisters were down there somewhere. Any minute now, her older sister Louie would come round and sweep all the little ones in from their game and help Dorothy to get them ready for bed. Louie was twenty now and married to a dark, strange man called Gilbert. In those days, he cherished her. She lived two doors down in a cheerful mess of a house. She was a noisy, comfortable, happy girl, not a bit like Dorothy, who was quiet and timid, a born warrior, their father always said. But then Dorothy had the house to look after, and the little ones to see to. She'd only been fourteen when their mother had died in childbirth, and since then their father had closed in on himself, tight and cold and silent, and she felt as if she'd lost him too. He had little time for any of his children now. He paid Mrs. Beatty next door to help Dorothy while he was at the steelworks. The old woman had been at the birth of all his children, and she'd laid out his wife for him. 
He liked to stay out drinking till the little ones were in bed. It was easier for him that way. When he came in, Dorothy would set about warming his meal for him, and he would watch her, saying nothing. She was too quiet for him, too like his wife. Once he stroked Dorothy's hair when she leaned over to him with his plate, and she looked up, startled. He'd forgotten how to touch his children. He would have liked Dorothy to stay at home and keep his house clean for him, but Louis had got her a job in the buffing shop where she worked, in one of the big cutlery firms in town. Their mother had worked there too, and old Mrs Beatty in her time. Dorothy brought the stink of work home with her every day. She couldn't keep the smell of the buffing shop out of her clothes and her skin and her hair. Her father had always hated that smell, and so did she. Today was a special day for Dorothy. It was Saturday, February the 26th, 1931. Dorothy was 17 today. It was also the day of the Cutler's Ball, when her firm was to hold its annual dance at the Cutler's Hall in town. This year, everyone who worked for the firm had been invited. It'll be a right birthday treat for you, Dolly, Louis had said. Her big, awkward husband, Gilbert, had gladly given her leave to go without him, and she was grateful for that. She was going to find it hard enough to coax Dorothy to go, and to enjoy herself when she got there, without dragging Gilbert along too. Dorothy had been cold with excitement all day. It was the first time she'd been to a dance of any sort. It was the first time she'd celebrated a birthday. Come on, Dolly, let's get you fettled, Louis called up to her, and Dorothy ran downstairs to wash the muck of work off her hands and her face and out of her long, thick hair. She and Louis scrubbed each other down, and then Louis sat her in the hearth while she crimped her hair for her. They chattered away, full of it all, holding the curling tongues in the heat of the coals till they glowed, and then wrapping Dorothy's hair quickly round them. Hold it still, Louis ordered. Don't wriggle or the lines will come out all wobbly. You'll ruin that girl's hair, Mrs Beatty warned. She was pressing their frocks. She held the iron near her face to feel its heat. Her spittle fizzed on it. It'll drop out before she's twenty-one, you'll see. I don't care if it does drop out before she's twenty-one. Louis's laugh was the sort that cracked inside her ear hole. She could break bones in half with her voice. So long as it's all right for tonight, that's all. Mrs Beatty draped the hot dresses over the chair back and settled down for a rest. She nagged on comfortably. When I were a girl, it didn't do for young ladies to show their hair at all. Never mind cook it. But when old Mrs Beatty had been Dorothy's age, the year had been 1876, and the world of young ladies then was a foreign land to them. I've seen more changes in my lifetime than you're ever likely to see in yours. I would want to see neither. Things have got wicked. She purred into her cocoa and nodded off, missing the fun of seeing Dorothy put on her lyle stockings and the pale blue satin dress with red posies that she'd helped her to make. The little ones crowded round for a good look at their sisters before they set off, and their clamour woke Mrs Beatty up again briefly. She'd come to keep an eye on them while their widowed father was on night shift at the steelworks, and to take advantage of a fire that she herself couldn't afford. Ah, you look bonny enough, she murmured, and was asleep again before the girls had time to put on their powder. 
they slipped out into the street and ran arm in arm across the cobbles to where their friends were waiting for them at the tram stop. The Cutlass Hall was in Church Street, near the middle of town. Lights blazed from all its windows. Even from the street outside, with all its bustle of trams and traffic, you could hear the strains of the orchestra and the babble of voices and laughter. Dorothy, shy, held on to her sister's arm as they went up the steps to the entrance hall. She gazed round at the black and green walls that gleamed like marble, the crystal chandeliers, the glowing polish of the woodwork, at the height of the pillars and the decorated ceiling, and at the broad sweep of the grand staircase that she was going to have to climb up if she was ever going to get near the ballroom. A woman in a pale green taffeta dress rustled down from the top flight on the arm of a young man and stood poised on the landing. She turned to smile at another group who were coming down to her, and the huge mirror behind her held a poise like one of the paintings round the walls. Her hair was permed in rows like the deep waves of the sea in the newest fashion, and real jewels flashed at her throat. Hey, that's Boss's wife, Louis whispered. And that's Boss's son, Mr. Edward, in Seattle Beach. She laughed loudly in the shrieking way she had, and the party on the stairs turned their heads slightly towards them, and away again. And Dorothy blushed, not at her sister's coarseness, but because Mr. Edward, son of the owner of one of the most famous cutlery firms in the world, had caught her eye and was staring coolly at her. And she felt his eyes on her all evening, especially when she found herself laughing for joy at the dancing and singing to herself the tunes that she'd only heard before in the singing at work. The little orchestra now filled them out with harmonies. Oh, Danny boy, I'll take you home again, Kathleen. Roses are blooming in Picardy. I say, whispered a voice in her ear, did you know you're the prettiest girl here? Am I? She don't turn her face to look at Mr. Edward, even though his breath was warm on her cheek. You've eyes the colour of bluebells. She smiled at a plate of cakes on the buffet table. I'd like to ask you for the next dance, he went on, and I shan't take no for an answer. She looked round for her friends, but they'd all gone off somewhere, smoking or blotting their glowing cheeks with powder. Mr. Edward put his hand on her shoulder and steered her out to the centre of the floor, and she stood rigid with mortification while they waited for the music to start. She knew how to dance all right. Louis had seen to that, giving her lessons in the kitchen under the dripping clothes rack, while old Mrs. Beatty hummed the tunes and tapped out the rhythm with her steel-tipped stick and all her little brothers and sisters sat in their nightgowns on the kitchen bench to watch. She knew every dance there was to know, and was as light and lively on her feet as her mother had been. And Mr. Edward could dance too. Now she knew that everyone's eyes were on her, and she didn't care. She wanted all the girls to notice her triumph. At the end of the dance, his arms still held her, and what's more, his eyes held her too. And even though the music had stopped and all the other dancers were moving back to their seats, she wanted that moment to hold her there forever. But, Edward, Edward, his mother hissed at him, 
and in a voice that was a shade too harsh for the smooth face under the permanent waves, and Mr. Edward's firm grasp wilted. Wait for me after the ball, he whispered. Will you? Not looking at her, but at his mother. Say you will, and I'll drive you home. I'll drive you home? Never had a motor car been in Dorothy's street. At the end of the dance, when she was queuing with her sister for her coat and easing her feet out of her shoes, she told Louis that even though the last tram had gone, she wouldn't be walking home with her. Mr. Edward's taking me in his car, she whispered. Don't be mad, said Louis. Him, bring you home, down Attercliffe, with me dad waiting to strap him for his cheek. Forget it, Dorothy. He's having you on. So arm in arm, the sisters and their friends scuttled down from the scented ballroom and limped their blistered way home through the dark streets to Attercliffe. But Dorothy couldn't forget Mr. Edward that easily. That night she dreamt about him, and all next day too, when she was busy with the cooking and the housework, and she held a picture of herself with him, a still coloured image like a painting, but with music in the background, and it showed him with his face bent down towards her at the end of the dance, and her with her face held up to his. When Albert Bradley from over the road lingered, as he always did, till Dorothy's father had gone to work and knocked on her door for his morning kiss before racing down the street to clock on at the steelworks, he met with a fullness of lips that he'd never come across before. Why, Dolly, that's coming on, he said, stepping back for air, and Dorothy opened her eyes, shocked to think that Albert's blotched and bristly face should have put her in mind of Mr. Edward. Get away with you, Albert Bradley, she said, and he did tearing up the street to beat Dorothy's dad to the work's gates and grinning all day long at Dorothy's new magic. Louis's strange husband, Gilbert, left for work at the same time and she came round to Dorothy's house to help her to get the little ones up. Then they got ready for work together. They had to protect themselves from the gritty dust of the buffing wheel. They took newspapers from the pile that the neighbours brought round for them at the end of every week and tied sheets of them round each other chest, arms, stomach, legs, till there was no clothing left to be seen except for the newly washed and daisy-white calico headsquares that they tied round their crimped hair. They collected their sandwiches and left Mrs Beatty her penny for taking the little ones to school and back and set off, rustling for their tram, gathering their friends on the way. The girls chattered and shrieked and gossiped as the tram swayed to town and Dorothy gazed out at the houses with sunlight as pale as sand on their windows and thought of the rich gleam of chandeliers and felt the warmth of Mr. Edward's breath on her cheeks. Much later that morning, Mr. Edward arrived at work. He'd had a bad weekend, dreaming about Dorothy. He was quite determined to find her again. All the people who'd been to the ball had been employed by his father, so he knew that she'd be in the building somewhere. He wouldn't let her slip away from him again in her shyness. In between inspecting the neat rows of box cutlery and candlesticks and meat plates that were lined up for export, he roamed from office to office and from floor to floor, anxious to get a glimpse of her. And Dorothy, standing all day long over her buffing wheel, 
while clouds of black dust settled over her newspaper arms and body and her calico head square, kept casting glances over her shoulder, sensing with every nerve that he was somewhere in the building, and that he was looking for her. But it never occurred to him to look among the buffer girls, even though the sickly sweet metal and hot dust smell of their work lay heavy in every room, and the whir of their machinery wound interminably through the day and the lusty singing of the girls at their work chimed in every corner. If he'd climbed up to the top floor of his father's building, he would have seen the long buffing shop, hot and bright with sunlight, pouring through the roof windows, and the forty girls standing in their row, putting the gleam on all those articles he inspected. They'd be holding their faces away from the sand dust that the wheels sprayed back at them, and from time to time they'd dash with their mugs to the tap in the corner and swill their mouths out, or they'd stretch back their shoulders to ease the ache, or flex the muscles of their feet. I'll take you home again, Kathleen, they'd be singing, or my old man said follow the van, and don't dilly-dally on the way. All day long they'd be singing, and from time to time the little one with eyes like bluebells in her blackened face would look over her shoulder for someone. But at last it was clocking off time. The machine stopped. The girls put out their pieces of hollowware to be counted, and those with husbands' meals to cook and shopping to do on Attercliffe Common urged the ones who wanted to chat and dawdle to hurry up. They crowded out of the building together, newspaper arms and legs, faces, hands, calico head squares, all as black as soot. Dorothy clattered out behind the others, listening to their jokes and laughter, and wrapped up still in her warm thoughts of the dance, and saw Mr. Edward by the steps, dapper as a new sixpence, and holding a posy of violets. For me, she breathed. His eyes flashed up and up the steps as the workers streamed out. Dorothy broke away from her sister to run to him, but Louis pulled her back. Don't, she warned. He's never waiting for you. He is said Dorothy, breaking free. Not you! Louis's voice wailed. Dorothy ran right up to Mr. Edward, her newspapers flapping away from her arms. He'd moved away as the top floor workers came down and was about to give up his vigil. <gasps> Mr. Edward! He half turned, knowing the voice, and went back towards the steps. He had to push past the grimy blue-eyed girl on the pavement, and he brushed her dust off his coat in annoyance. The buffer girls yelled at Dorothy to hurry up or they'd miss the tram. And as she ran past him again, he realised that the girl he was looking for had vanished, like the music and the lights and all the scents and laughter of the dance. He dropped the violets in the gutter and strode back to his car. And Louis, coming to hook Dorothy's arm in her own, bent down and picked them up for her kitchen table. At the steelworks at the end of Dorothy's street, Albert was about to finish his shift. He stood in the flare of heat as the great river of golden steel gushed down the channel into its mould. He'd work here for the rest of his life. He knew that. And every night he'd go back home to Dorothy. He thought of her morning kiss and knew that he'd have to act fast before things got beyond his control. The furnace winked a white eye at him as the huge door was swung open and slammed shut again. 
He must go. Men shouted at him on their way past. His skin scorched with the heat, and still he couldn't move. He watched a massive rod of steel blaze white. Red sparks from it spattered to the high, dark vault. He would ask her tonight. He raced down to her house as soon as he'd clocked off. Dry as he was with the heat of the works, he didn't stop at the pub to slake his thirst as the other workers did. He reached Dorothy's door just as Mrs Beatty was coming out, and he hovered in the passage to let the old woman pass. You're early tonight, aren't you, Albert? Be a kiss. I've got special business tonight, Mrs Beatty. Have you? What kind of business? I'm going to pop her a question. Mrs Beatty chewed thoughtfully on the last bit of bread in her gums and spat out the crusty bit that was annoying her. She's not in the mood for questions, Albert. I should come back tomorrow. She's not poorly, is she? She is. Mrs Beatty pushed past him, sorry enough for the lad, but her back was hurting her. Not the sort of poorly you mean, though. What sort of poorly? Heart salt. The old woman pushed open her door and went in for the night. Dorothy heard Albert knocking, but she lay in her bed with a candle out, and not much of the day's grime washed off her face, except by tears. It's Albert. Come for his kiss. One of her sisters crept into the room to whisper to her. Dorothy bit her lip. Have I to tell him he can't have one tonight? Yes, tell him that. Have I to tell him he can have one in the morning? Tell him I'll see. The little sister passed on the message and then came up to creep into bed with her. Albert went home, ashamed. Dolly, a sister whispered to her much later. Why are you crying? Dorothy sighed and turned her head so she could see out of her window to where the moonlight gleamed on the slate roof of Albert's house and all down the terrace of slate roofs and beyond that another street of slate roofs and beyond that again another. I don't know really, she said. It's just that I'll never get away. Never be posh, she thought. Never know where romance might lead me to. We don't want you to, her sister said. Dorothy watched, quiet, as the sky came to its full blackness and drained away again. As soon as her father went out the next morning, Albert was at the door. Hello, Albert, she said. It's you. He noticed how heavy her eyes were and decided to get on with it quick. Will you marry me, Dot? he asked. Louis and Mrs Beatty were behind the door, listening. He knew that. Dorothy sighed. <sighs> All right. Albert tapped the step with his boot. Men hurried past on their way to work. Do you want a kiss this morning? All right. But don't be late for work, will you, Albert Bradley? We want all the money we can get now, if we're to be wed. And she pushed her hair back and turned her face up to his, ready 